Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the club that you didn't want to join. With a voice of red disease and this jingle doesn't rhyme. NordPod, NordPod, NordPod. My name is Matthew Zachary, and welcome to NordPod, right here on the Offscript Media Network. Now, I've been advocating on behalf of cancer and rare disease patients for over 20 years. Why? Because I am one. NordPod is the official podcast of the National Organization for Rare Disorders. And a quick reminder before we get started that if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other listeners like you discover the show. Now, let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome back to NordPod, the voice of rare disease. Today on the show, it's Rob Long, the executive director at Uplifting Athletes. And as he got a story for you, he was a preseason All-American punter on the Syracuse Orange football team and in 2011 had some strange headaches, was misdiagnosed a bit and was ultimately diagnosed with brain cancer. He had what's called a grade three anaplastic astrocytoma. It was the size of a grapefruit. Oh my God, there's something in my head. He was given a grim prognosis and the likelihood of him getting drafted to the NFL, which was highly likely at the time, was fading quickly. Long story short, he found his anchor, which was sports, rebuilt his life from scratch, and is still here thriving all these years later, leading the Uplifting Athletes Initiative. Their mission is to inspire the rare disease community with hope through the power of sport. You're going to learn all about what they do a deeper dive into his story and some of the insanely strange common threads that he and I have with what I went through in the 90s. We also have some fun talking about the SUNY system in New York State, Wegmans, and the Carrier Dome. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome Robert Long to NordPod. That's your cue. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, sorry. I didn't think it. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's a pleasure. You're doing a lot of media, though, so you got to get used to this stuff. It's exciting. I know. I know. It is. It's very exciting. We've got a lot going on you know, with uplifting athletes, and so making our rounds and, and, and sharing the story of the organization, it's, it's fantastic. So I want to start with Wegmans. Which I just think is the calling card of anyone I have on any show. I, I host another show called Out of Patience. And it's like a universal calling card. And if you if you went to school upstate or you're from upstate, it's just like the tie that binds. Yes. Did you work there as well while you're in school? Because a lot of people I know when I went to college worked there at the same time. I, I didn't, but I was spoiled because actually a Wegmans moved into my hometown outside of Philadelphia, I believe while I was at Syracuse. Oh. And so... I had it both at school and at home. And 
I took full advantage of the situation. Well, I can't hate you because I went to Binghamton in uh, 92 and there was no Wegmans anywhere except like north of Binghamton. <laughs> so that was pretty much it. I really could not have predicted the insane level of common thread that we have in our origin stories of why we're doing what we're doing today. And just for the sake of the listeners, I, I want you to further dig into this, but all right. We were both young adults in our very early 20s with our entire future planned for us, by us, with us. And then brain cancer showed up, ruined everything, and made us start nonprofits. <laughs> so, and, we went to Bing, right. and we went to state schools in New York. So. Yeah, that sounds about right. If that's um, not peer-to-peer support, I don't know what is. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is uh, quite serendipitous, and it's awesome to to hear you know your story and and what you've done and what you've accomplished. I you know you were somebody that you know I was able to kind of see what you were doing when you were doing it at a time when you know I was going through probably the early stages of of my my diagnosis and treatment and everything else. And um, I think you know, anytime you see somebody who has been diagnosed with, you know, something similar to you or the same as you, it's, you always kind of, uh, especially when they're older and you, you kind of see them as, you know, that kind of that guiding light, uh, leading the way. And so, um, it, it was awesome to see everything that you've done, um, and continue to do from stupid cancer to, to what you're doing now. I, I think, it's awesome. And so wanted to uh, briefly thank you for, for all that you've done for, for people impacted by cancer, especially young adults. And I know it's, as you know well, it's such a, a unique stage of your life that you're in at that time of diagnosis. And there are things that people seem to forget to tell you when you're in your early 20s and, and diagnosed with cancer 100%. Um, that, that, that are seemingly important at the time. And so it's great to talk to you and, and to, you know, connect with somebody who's done so much for, for young adults, you know, with rare disease and cancer. That means a lot. You know, it's, it's such a privilege to look back and wonder what the boat wake was in starting that organization. And, you know, I'm three years out now, but it's still thriving. And, you know, you, you live inside an apple core. I mean, we're going to talk about your leadership at a nonprofit in the, in the second half of the show, but you do live inside this apple core and you don't quite ever get to truly appreciate the impact, the ripple effect of your organization. And I think even just recently, someone reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, you don't remember me, but I attended the very first stupid cancer meetup in Philadelphia in 2008 and I'm still alive and I wanted to thank you. And you know, this is such an extraordinary I guess a terrible privilege of being folks like us who get to do that. But again, launching and creating stupid cancer and building that movement was not only necessary because no one was doing it, but you know, you, you stand for something so important as someone who can really live the mission, which is that, you know, it's not better or worse than old people and baby cancer, but we're different. We matter. And it's, this is what is, this is what defines us being us. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And I, it is, it's one of those things that it's, you know, until you go through it at that age, and I think this is what's so remarkable about what you had done with, with stupid cancer is just like, you know, at that time, 
and now looking back at it, you know, being 11 years removed from this, it's like, man, there's a lot of fairly simple things that somebody could have given me a heads up about that, that would have gone a long way to, to be helpful and, and supportive in that time. And so I, I think that's one of the things that I, you know, and why I, you know, more or less decided to, to, you know, be vocal about my story and what I've been through is because I, I don't think we, we get much further than where we've been if people remain silent. And I think it's important that we you know, share our stories and our perspectives and, and what we've been through so that other people can you know, kind of you know, feel that connection. And then you know, we can come together and take action. And that, that's ultimately what is, is going to you know, drive progress is people taking action and, and, and feeling that, that common thread that they feel good and confident in that, hey, this is the right thing to do. And we're doing the right thing by, by, by raising our voices and you know, kind of disrupting the status quo at times and forcing some some conversations that aren't always easy or comfortable, but the end result is always worth it. It's like a very good version of the metaphor. You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So irrespective of our fabulous origin stories, I'm not a sports person. I want to disclaim that to you because you are a huge sports person. And yes. my wife is thrilled I'm not a sports person, you know, because I mean, I, I, my secret is though I know everything about sports. I just don't really care about it because yeah. what ended my desire to be a sports fanatic was when the Mets won in 86. And I realized it would never get better ever, <laughs> no matter what sport it was. Cubs, <laughs> Phillies, Red Sox, notwithstanding, it would never get better. And I have not been a sports person since 1986. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I think we can all kind of be honest with ourselves and you probably made a good choice if that was your, <laughs> your, your, your fandom was the Mets. I don't know that it's gotten much better since 86. No, so no. yeah, it, the, the sports part of, and I think everybody has, I, I hope everybody has something that, that kind of drives them and, and gives them, you know, or adds value to their life. And, and sports has been that for me um, a, a million times over, really. Um, you know, from just being something that I love to do all my life, you know, growing up to to being able to earn a scholarship to, to school, to kick a football seemed kind of ridiculous. And, you know, yet it provided me this opportunity that I would not have been at Syracuse University if it had not been for for my athletic abilities you know, and so for me to to have that opportunity, it was great. And you know, the people of Syracuse and that community um, have been unbelievable to to me and my family. And it's a, a home away from home for me. And you know, it, it's through that that passion and camaraderie that I developed through sports that really has it helped me so much in in my darkest days of of going through everything that you know I went through. It was. Uh, you know, this, this light that I had these friends and these brothers that were always there to, to support me, which was uh, a special thing. So it, it's, it's been something that's um, been remarkable for me in my life that I, I'm forever grateful to have had the opportunity to, to attend Syracuse and play football there. Well, we had the privilege before we were diagnosed of having an anchor in our lives. Yeah. You had sports, I had music, I had piano. And even though that completely disrupted what our passions were, it was kind of the one dangling thing we could cling to when you're told like, oh, you have six months to live. Good luck with that, right? <laughs> All sorts of fun 
for me, like I was reading your, your good problem to have was, oh, what NFL team will I be on? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. And my good problem to have was, well, what, what, what film school will I be going to to write for Hollywood? Right. You know? yeah. And um, I, I saw your appreciation all American. Did you have, I mean, this is a sports question from a non-sports guy. Did, if you could pick like your top four draft picks, where we would have gone? Oh man. Uh, there would have been something special about being home and playing in Philadelphia. Um, and then a- outside of that, anywhere that was, was warm would probably be the next thing. And then after that, if it's not warm and if it's indoors, I would also be okay with that. So in that order, I think just, just being home and, you know, having had the opportunity after going through surgery and, and radiation and chemo, you know, having the opportunity to, to go and you know, work out at some of these teams and to kind of experience that a little bit, although it never really was able to crack that ceiling of, of making it into the NFL. It was it was it was kind of a measuring stick for for me. And I, I don't know if you had something similar to this with with music. And it was that you know when I was diagnosed, I I was at this point in my life where I was good enough to play in the NFL, and I, I felt like I had worked incredibly hard to get to that point. And you go through this diagnosis, and I remember after surgery, after probably the first round of radiation and chemo, I sat there and, and I think I went out to, to try and just see what I could do, you know, see, see if I still had it. And I don't think I'd ever been so discouraged and kind of frustrated and, and probably frankly mad at that point that not only had this diagnosis kind of disrupted the career path that I was on, it felt at the time like it had took my abilities away. And, you know, I just wasn't the same person. And we're talking three, four months after uh, surgery. And I I kind of remember coming home and I was talking to my dad in the kitchen and I was completely defeated at this point. And I, I said, I feel like I am at the bottom of Mount Everest and there's just no path for me to get to the top again. And that's just how I felt at that point. It was like, I, I was so good at punting and, and kicking and I, I had mastered this and I'd spent hours and hours and probably <laughs> close to, um, close to the 10,000 hours that, that Malcolm Gladwell says you need to, to be right. an expert, you know, but you know, I, I, I felt like I had spent that time and, and dedicated that and for it to be all undone was a really tough pill to swallow. And the one thing that I learned from all of this was that, you know, there was really no way to get back to where I was except to, you know, face it and go through it and take it a day at a time and basically start over. And and that's what I did. And, you know, I, I built myself back up both physically and in time, mentally right. and emotionally. In, in time. <laughs> How's that in going time. 11 years later? Uh, still work in progress, to be honest. Um, but it's it's one of those things that it was, you know, for me, I, I, the one thing I didn't want was to let this diagnosis kind of rob me of uh, of my identity, of who I was and, and what I was able to do. And so while there was this goal of, of you know, getting through treatment and getting through th- this diagnosis, you know, and the ultimate goal to play in the NFL, there was this other thing that I had that was very personal to me that really nobody needed to approve of other than myself. And that was 
I just wanted to work as hard as I could to get back to being as good, if not better than I was in college. And if I got to that point, then I could move on to the next thing. And whether the NFL happened or not, you know, that's not in my hands. That's not in my control. I I can control one thing and that's what, you know, I can bring to the table, my abilities, my talents, my work ethic. And that's, that's what I did. And I I spent probably two and a half years getting back to that point. And I remember I had a, a workout in Arizona in front of probably 20 NFL teams. And I had a really, really, really good day. And I, you know, hit the ball probably as well as I had ever in my entire life. And uh, I had it was all the probably, anger. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest, I, I I had this initially when I started to try and get back into the swing of this. It was I genuinely thought I was going to solve the issue and cure brain cancer by punting a football, and it's that that was not realistic, right? And it, I, I was putting this entire burden on myself that if I make it to the NFL, I can use my entire salary to fund brain cancer research and, right. you know, we'll, we'll fix this. And well, I, I want to get to yeah. that in the second half of the show. We have to take a quick break in just a second, but I've been nodding my head on the radio through that entire story <laughs> because it is near mimicking everything I went through in the 1990s. And, uh, yeah. I mean, my story is out there. I lost the ability to play piano. I couldn't play. I re- rehab myself. I had no help. And uh, I wanted to, you know, not use music to cure cancer, but figure out <laughs> that'd be a funny piano play that just use music to, play to cure <laughs> cancer. But uh, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with Rob Long. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rob, I want to do a quick quiz for you and the listeners on brain cancer statistics. You know, I feel like there's some game show <laughs> sound that should play now. You know, there's 1.6 million new cancer diagnoses a year on average. Maybe 11 years ago, 1.4. When I was diagnosed, it was 1.2. Brain tumors writ large, malignant or benign, make up only 25,000 of that 1.6 million, which is 0.0075%. And what you had 
which is a grade three anaplastic astrocytoma, fabulous uh, syllables there, 1,500 a year. What I had was 200 a year, so I, I don't know what kind of contrast I win with this call. But the rarest of the rare of the rare is kind of like a weird prize to win. At what point did they make you aware how rare this was? I think that was something that Google did pretty soon <laughs> after my diagnosis. Um, there was a lot of uh, lack of information about it. And I I think this is probably the uh, conversation most had while leaving the oncology office is, hey, whatever you do, don't Google your diagnosis right? because it's not going to be good. And that's what I did. And I, I realized the the rarefied air that I was in and uh, not the good kind. And it was, it was just hard to process. And I, I don't know that there's another way to, to articulate, you know, that emotion of wait, what does this mean for me? And it was just, it was just confounding. I, I didn't, couldn't, couldn't wrap my brain around that me, this person who I, I, I I don't think I had a significant amount of adversity in my life. My my parents worked incredibly hard to allow me to to play sports and my sister to dance ballet. And all of a sudden, like it, you're finding out that your your run is likely coming to an end. You've put in a good 22, 23 years, and like you know, thanks for playing the game of life. And it's uh, just a a tough thing to process and to to wrap your head around that age. Agreed. I mean, the young adult cancer journey is, like we said, it's not better or worse. It's very different. I have only one specific question for you, which is just a personal question. Uh, I'm really big, as you know, on like fertility preservation when you're not 80 or nine, and seven years old. Was I, I just curious, was that brought up at all for you? So this is actually a funny story. If there are funny stories from that time, I, I Of deal course with there are hysterical oh, stories. Oh, oh. Yeah, so you'll find them funny. Some people are just like, oh, that's incredibly bizarre. That <laughs> So I was due to start my first round of chemotherapy uh, the following day. And one of my friends, so this is another 22-year-old, is texting me and no medical degree whatsoever. And he said, like, did you bank sperm? And I was like, well, know why would I have done that? He was like, well, can't chemotherapy make you sterile? And I was like, I don't think so. I think that's something somebody would have told me by now. <laughs> Wait, I'll see myself. Uh, I have to go throw up in the corner. I'll be right back. Yeah. No, and and this is, I, I couldn't make this up. And so I said, oh my God. And I called my oncologist and I said, hey, uh, should I have banked sperm and he goes well if you want to ever have kids yeah you should oh jesus my god and, and i well i'm just thinking i'm like at what point was somebody going to tell me this and i it was you know it was a a coincidental thing that one of my friends brought up to me that that spurred the question and so it, it sent me down this this weird spiral of conversations over the next probably two hours that day was I found out that I, I needed to paint sperm. And I was such an, an emotional wreck at this point. Of course. Like, I didn't want to talk to doctors. I didn't, I like, I, I didn't want to make my appointments. I, and so my mom is on the phone with the sperm bank and she's like, well, when's your next appointment? And then my mom starts filtering through 
through her the questions that the woman on the other end of the phone is asking. And oh, that's not awkward. To, not awkward. Yeah. So if you've ever had to pay sperm, I mean, there's a lot of very personal questions. And so my mom is sitting there like, like you could see that she's hearing what she's going to have to ask. And, <laughs> and so she's like, well, when is the last time I was like, stop, do not yeah, finish just, your sentence. Yeah. I said, give me the phone. I will handle this. Like, <laughs> please. God. And wow. Um, yeah. So it, it, it is, it's one of those things that, and so I ended up getting it figured out, but it, again, it, it caused so much anxiety because I wasn't able to start my chemotherapy on the date that I was supposed to. And so then you're on the, the phone with the chemo oncologist and you're you're trying to get them to justify to you, well, you've been told I have this aggressive form of brain cancer, but you're also telling me that it's not that big of a deal if I don't start my chemotherapy this week or next week or the week after. And I was like, I hope you could understand how this doesn't make a whole lot of sense or make me feel all that comfortable while we're going through this. So it was it was quite a process. There's an awesome meme. I mean, I'm going to date the show, but uh, my kids, they're 12. They're like, it's called like emotional damage. You know, just <laughs> and I, I see this on TikTok. But to me, like that was my life. That was, by the way, again, as if we didn't have enough in common. My mom drove me to the sperm bank. Oh, I went with my dad and girlfriend. It was a terrible experience. <laughs> so I want to get to your work at Uplifting Athletes, but I had another Syracuse question for you. Um, sure. The basketball team are the orange men, but the football team are just the orange. I think everybody's the orange now. Okay. I, I think I think it's I think everybody across the board we are the Syracuse orange now. I, I'm understanding this uplifting athletes was there and you discovered yes. it and someone made you aware of it. Uh, so uh, one of my teammates uh, had learned about uh, was actually from State College, Pennsylvania, knew about uplifting athletes at Penn state and started the Syracuse chapter of uplifting athletes in my honor. And, you know, he, he called me one day and basically said, you know, there's this organization uplifting athletes. They, this is what they do. They support the rare disease community and would love to, to kind of start the Syracuse chapter, you know, in your honor and kind of use your story as the, the kind of starting point for this uh, chapter at Syracuse. And to this day, one of the coolest things that I've been a part of and, forever grateful for for that happening all the way back in 2012 and when were you introduced to nord uh so i was introduced to nord uh pretty early on so i went from basically being a part a very active part of the syracuse chapter from 2012 to 2016 and in 2016 i reached out to scott uh shirley our founder and basically asked if there was an opportunity for me to join the organization full-time and uh, fortunately for me, there was. So uh, I joined in uh, September 2016. And uh, one of the first things I did was go to uh, Nord's uh, Patient Advocacy Summit in DC. And I just went on a fact-finding and data collection mission of trying to get anybody's ear who I could to, to understand how we could at Uplifting Athletes better, you know, what we do to support the rare disease community. And it was that first uh, Nord Summit that actually, you know, really opened my eyes to uh, the rare disease community at large, and was the, the impetus for some unbelievable 
connections and friendships that are are still going today. Yeah, one of your videos there was like a Nord Impact Award Easter egg in the background, yeah. and I was like, oh, you got yeah. an award. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So for the listeners, Uplifting Athletes, and this is from your website, is a nonprofit organization that inspires the rare disease community with hope through the power of sport. And you're leveraging athletic visibility and your platform for good. What specific programs are you doing to raise awareness and research or funding for rare disease? Yeah, so we uh, launched an, a program that I'm really proud of in 2018 called the Young Investigator Draft. And so this is a, an event that is modeled directly after the NFL draft. And instead of drafting the top athletic talent in the country, uh, we draft the top rare disease researchers. And so by using this platform, we're able to really elevate and celebrate the people that are doing this vitally important work in the rare disease community. Um, they are the ones that will be responsible for the, the future treatments and cures that we need so desperately in the rare disease community. And uh, it's a program that, um, like I said, was developed in 2018. And for me, it was, and I, I think you'll resonate with this, is that it was something that was deeply personal to me that I, I was sitting here at that point, six, seven years post-diagnosis. And I was getting to a point where I had passed that that five-year mark. And I, I was kind of realizing that, or starting to realize that, you know, there, there may be more of a future for me than I had ever anticipated, you know, once I was diagnosed. And one of the things that, um, Yo, I, I really spent a lot of time thinking about was that there were so many people uh, who I'll never get to to meet or thank that are the reason that I am here today. And it really started all the way back from you know those researchers that were you know at the beginning of this saying, "Hey, we have this compound that we think can help people with this type of cancer." And then you think about the the, the time and effort and funding that went into that the advocates that were responsible for that, the industry partners that were part of funding that that research. And you know, for me, it was this kind of way of being able to kind of pay forward what I had been the beneficiary of. And really, it's, a, it's just an awesome opportunity for us as an organization to fund and support up-and-coming rare disease researchers by partnering with patient advocacy organizations who nominate these researchers um, to, to receive a grant award from Uplifting Athletes and the, the nominating patient advocacy organization. And um, for us to drive some some hope and some inspiration for people within that community that, that they know that there's people out there that are actively pursuing, you know, future treatments and cures that, you know, they're waiting for. You probably remember that one of the stupid cancer taglines was, make young adult cancer suck less. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, this is what you're doing. I think it's the perfect use of like the cat poster is pain to purpose, but like you're really doing yeah. the stuff that we wish we had. I do want to quantify uh, for the listeners or qualify that brain cancer isn't often under the rare disease umbrella, but it really is. And yeah. brain cancer being what, 25,000 a year, rare disease is defined as anything less, less than 200,000 a year. So it's yep. way under 250,000 <laughs> a year, let alone be one of 1,500 in the country. So yeah, rare brain cancer, brain tumors are rare diseases, and uh, it, it's extraordinary. One last question for you. Who's your pick for next year's Super Bowl? Well, 
I think with Tom Brady coming back, there's probably going to be a lot of, uh, of fanfare around the Buccaneers. But I'll go a, a, a different route, and I'll I'll say um, I'll say Denver will, will make a surprise run with with Russell Wilson and uh, and his new crew there. All right, you heard it here, folks. We're going to revisit <laughs> this show like uh, eleven months from now, and we'll see if he was right. Uh, man, yeah. Robert Long, young adult brain cancer survivor like a literal 15 year later clone of my story. <laughs> so proud of you, man. I'm glad you're here. 11 years. Congratulations. And uh, executive director at uplifting athletes. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for coming on Nord. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's great to meet you. Great to talk with you and just really appreciate the platform that you provide. Uh, so many people like myself. That's all for now. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us your rare disease story in your own voice by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. NordPod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Health. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary, Leslie Nordstrom, and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producers are Valerie Mocken and Noah Jones. NordPod is recorded by Matthew Zachary and mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. Our theme music is by the Salvatones. Learn more about the music of the Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. Or visit us on the web at offscript.com. For more information about Nord, visit nordpod.org. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.